Searching for Skylab podcast. I am Sean Behrens and I'm here with with Dwight Stephen Bonietzki. Bonietzki, Bonietzki. Uh, Dwight, how do I say your surname? I've known you for so long and I don't even know how Bonietzki. to say it. Bonietzki is the correct pronunciation and uh, don't worry, you can also say Bonietzki. I've grown up with both pronunciations. so it's Bonietzki. Cool. And I must say that that song at the beginning, is it's a very catchy tune. Why, thank you, Dwight. It's very funny that you should mention that because I wrote that song. You did? No, I didn't. One of my band members uh, wrote that song for the movie Searching for Skylab, which you directed. Oh, I knew I recognized that tune from somewhere. God, this this whole thing sounds like a terrible commercial, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Well, wait, but- wait, folks, if you dial now... That's right. You can order not only the film, but wait, you get two downloads of Horizon Riders. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> just, just, uh, it's just a shameless plug. The whole podcast, um, exactly. No, it's not. It's not, Dwight. We have got uh, some real information for people who might be interested in Skylab, don't well, we? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, tell, so, me, tell me, we do. Oh, we do. We've got lots of stuff. Cool. Okay. Okay. So. Um, in the last episode, we spoke about Skylab on a high level, but specifically about how you bec- uh, you became interested in Skylab and why you ended up making a movie. In today's episode, in this episode, uh, we're going to look at what Skylab was, um, the origins of Skylab, and uh, what some of its goals were. Uh, so, why don't we get started with Dwight, with that, Dwight? Why don't we? Why don't you give us a general overview of what Skylab was actually? Well, Skylab started out as part of the Apollo Applications Program, and that was a program that was developed by George Miller, whose concern was that after the Apollo program, after the final mission, where would all the brains and all the talent go that were at NASA that had gotten the Americans to the moon? So he was thinking of ways where they could reutilize equipment that was developed specifically for Apollo and use it for other things. And one of those ideas was a space station. So he, he started putting, putting together the basic ideas for a space station. Well, the idea had been there already since the 50s, where Werner von Braun was thinking of using space stations as a springboard to get either to the moon or to Mars. I mean, they had the bold plan of going to Mars already in the 50s. Uh-huh. So uh, it was always on, on the back burner at NASA that they wanted a space station. And again, coming back to the AAP style of thinking, how could they u- reuse equipment developed for Apollo? Right. And the original idea was to launch what was known as a wet workshop. And that was a Saturn 1B rocket with the mm-hmm. Skylab workshop integrated into the, the rocket, but that was filled with fuel to get the rocket up there. Then they would drain the fuel, or the fuel would run out anyway because they had to get into orbit, and they would dry out the workstation and then use that as the space station. Okay. Now, the problem with that is there's a lot of complications in getting a safe environment for astronauts to live in after it's been filled with fuel that launches the rocket. Right. And what sort of fell into place was when uh, the 
Apollo 18, 19 and 20 missions were cancelled, that freed up a Saturn V. And George Muller acquired the Saturn V and they decided then to launch the workshop in a dry configuration, which meant the space station was ready to go because it was on the Saturn V. That stage of the rocket did not need to be filled with fuel. That was handled by another stage so that when the thing launched into space, it was ready to go. It just had to detach from from the stages, uh, get into orbit configuration, and it was ready to be inhabited by the astronauts. That, That sounds like a much better idea than a wet station, right? I tend to think so as well, and it, it gave a very spectacular launch. Now, the problems notwithstanding, it was uh, almost a textbook launch right up until the meteoroid shield got ripped off. But uh, yeah. that's yeah. another story for another for another podcast. Another podcast episode. Nice plug, Dwight. That's right. <laughs> we'll get to that. Is it going to have that fantastic song at the beginning, Horizon Riders? It's every single episode will have it, Dwight. Good to hear. Good every to hear. Every single episode. So... Uh, Right, so it was launched with a Saturn V rocket, which was the one that launched the Apollo mission, right? The Apollo to the uh, Apollo Eleven to the Moon. Crap, correct, correct. Crap, <laughs> correct, <laughs> correct, correct. Okay, yeah. that. Um, what, what other equipment did they use? Was that the only thing that they? I mean, other than what, what else was kind of leftovers or remnants that they pulled into the project? Well, the uh, airlock to, to come out of the space station was the, the hatch from the Gemini spacecraft. Okay. They, they used, because it was an orbital mission and did not require the immense power to get to the moon as the Apollo missions, they didn't need the Saturn V to launch the crew. They could use the smaller Saturn 1B rocket, which was launched on, when you look at the photos, it looks like a milk stool. And uh, they were already uh, produced, so... NASA did not have to pay for this. And this is this is the whole idea of the Apollo Applications Program of using equipment that was already there, mm-hmm. right? So the, the costs involved had already been accounted for or at, at bare minimum were very, very uh, minor. Okay. So, Dwight, something that we've spoken about uh, between you and I quite often is how important Skylab was as a mission to NASA itself. Um and there's something that I, I read about the unbroken chain of NASA and how Skylab was, an, Skylab was an integral part of that unbroken chain. Can you tell us a little bit about what that unbroken chain was and what the thinking was of um, how Skylab fits into that big picture? Well, it basically just, uh, again, falls into to the idea of the AAP uh, mentality, which rather than have a definite close to the Apollo program, it kept going with Skylab. And uh, back when Skylab was being planned, so was the space shuttle. And the technical problems were not then known for the shuttle, which delayed its launch from 1978 to 1981. Now, had the shuttle launched when it was uh, originally planned to, that would have meant a delay or or not a delay, a, a break in space operations of 74 to 74 years. That is not that much time. Um, they had Viking in the middle of it. They had the, the uh, Voyager launches. And these things kept NASA occupied. And Skylab was just a continuation of this manned exploration of space. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So what would NASA be without Skylab? Would it? You, do you think it would have fallen apart or it would have picked up the pieces, but I guess it wouldn't have had the same amount of research and things? What would, what would have happened if Skylab didn't happen? 
I asked uh, this very question on uh, on Facebook. Um, not if Skylab never happened, but what if they could not have rescued the space station once it had all the problems after launch? And it's it really is an open debate. A lot of people say, oh, heads would have rolled at NASA and uh, people would have resigned and they would have eventually brushed themselves off and, and gotten to work with the space shuttle program. Other people are saying it would have been uh, just treated like a test situation. They had a backup. They had Skylab B. Right. Now, whether or not, given how the Nixon administration was not very supportive of uh, space exploration, whether they would have allocated the funds to launch the, the second Skylab, uh, it's not out of the question. It's open to debate whether it would have happened. On a technical point of view, it could have happened. Mm. Um, budgetary is another is another thing. Okay. Um, and what what Skylab managed to do was was take a complete turnaround from looking outwards that they were doing with Apollo, and looking inwards. So the study of the Earth was a was a of paramount importance on Skylab. That's interesting. And there were a whole bunch of other experiments which we'll get to in this episode. So NASA had this idea of uh, putting a space station in space, uh, which is a good place station. Uh, it's a good place for a space station, right? Space. Yes, makes sense. It's Checks also out. a good place to put a PlayStation. <laughs> yeah, not just in my bedroom, but in space. That's um, right. No, so, so they decided to put up a space station in space. And uh, what, what, what were some of the reasons, other than what we've spoken about uh, about uh, the AAP and wh whatnot? What was the other reasons, and what were the goals of the space station? Well, there were several reasons for launching Skylab and for conducting all these experiments on board the orbital workshop. Um, the main one they wanted to find out was how long could humans live in space? Is it at okay. all possible? Hmm. Uh, up until that point, the, the longest mission, I think, was two weeks or just over two weeks. And there they were in 1973 saying, we're going to try 28 days and see what happens to the astronauts. Right. They were poked and prodded in every manner conceivable. The data was recorded for everything. Okay. We we were in um, in in Estec in in Netherlands, part of ESA, mm -hmm. and we asked uh, the astronauts there, "Do you use the data from Skylab?" And they said there is so much data that they collected on Skylab that we use to help plan ISS missions. We have not yet had the time to go through it. We do not have enough people. Wow, that's giving you a, an idea of how thorough the investigations were in 1973-74 uh, for the astronauts on Skylab. Well, that's pretty incredible if you think about it. That's 40 years later, and still a lot of this data needs to be understood and put together and put uh, put into action. Yeah, into yeah. So yeah. that was uh, the main reason for for having Skylab up there. Then they wanted to study Earth, and they had the Earth Resources Experiments Package, and that was using a uh, high-powered camera to observe the Earth. Okay. There are several transmissions from the SL3 mission where Alan Bean is describing uh, drought-affected areas in Africa, or they were monitoring uh, uh, tropical uh, hurricane Brenda, mm -hmm. and they were giving for the first time in orbit real-time descriptions of these phenomena that were happening on the Earth. And that allowed uh, researchers to really get a grip on what our little planet does, the way it behaves, the way weather affects it, the way human interaction affects it. Um, okay. 
basically increased our understanding of planet Earth. Yeah. So right? it's quite ironic that we had to send people up into space to understand more about Earth. That's that's what they always say. You know? and, and, and arguably, the most endearing photograph of the Apollo program is the Earthrise photograph taken on Apollo 8. It was yeah. the first time that humans had ever seen the Earth rise over the, the moon. Yeah. And a lot of people were saying how funny we had to go to the moon to understand ourselves better. Yeah. It's also something that inspired some of the lyrics in Horizon Riders from Searching for Skylab, which is uh, I look down on everything that I've ever loved. You're just having a look at the whole earth, basically. And it must have been incredible. But that's an aside, Dwight. That's got nothing to do with the experiments. Um, there was also solar experiments, weren't, weren't there? There were, but may I just say once again, it's a very catchy tune, Horizon Riders. It is. You are a very, very good promotion person. You should be my promotion person. Did twice. you hear that, everybody? It's a very catchy tune. <laughs> if we tell them enough that's a catchy tune, it'll be a catchy tune. And Dwight, your movie is pretty spectacular. <laughs> that's right. Now, we were talking about the experiments after we got interrupted by the catchy tune. After after that commercial break, we return you to our normal programming. <laughs> yes. Uh, tell me about the solar experiments. That was the other thing they had. They had the Apollo telescope mount, and that was predominantly designed to study the sun. They had cameras on there that were for different wavelengths of light. They could study all aspects of the sun. Mm-hmm. And as Emily Carney says in, in our film, and she's uh, probably the biggest Skylab expert out there apart from a couple of other people we oh. know of, so I should be actually getting Emily on this podcast. You probably should. She uh, <laughs> she was doing a podcast yesterday, actually, and uh, we, had a little chat can with. Can we her. invite her on one of these episodes? You, I can't see why not. Right. Emily, Emily, call, Emily, call Sean. Call me, call me. Uh, uh, no, I'll call, don't call me. I'll call you. My people will call your people. But I think we should get her. I think it was. But you know what we need to do, Dwight, is we need to get some of these episodes online first, so that she actually takes us seriously. Yes, that's right. And did I mention that Horizon Riders is a very catchy tune? You did not. And I, you know what? You can mention that as many times as you want, Dwight. Yes. As many times. This, this uh, experiments thing is going to become the plug for Horizon Riders. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, so Emily says it rewrote the book on solar physics. So oh, yeah, I like that quote. Everything, everything they studied, they, that I read somewhere that within the the nine months that uh, there were crews on board Skylab, they learned more about the sun than they had in the entire human history up until that point. Amazing. And this was also the first time that they could see it without the Earth's atmosphere in the way. And that leads to another observation they did on the final Skylab mission, which was the observation of Comet Kahootek. In March of 1973, Dr. Lubas Kahutek here in Hamburg, Germany, observed Very an German object. Name. Uh, well, he's from uh, the Czech Republic originally, ah, okay. and he had actually escaped Checks from out. the Iron Curtain, and yeah, and was uh, was studying um, astronomy or doing astronomy in in the Hamburg obs- Observatory. Mm-hmm. And he was looking for another comet or another meteor that had uh, been seen in the 1800s and then broke in half and was never seen of again. And he wanted to see if he was maybe able to, to find out where this thing had, uh, had gone, whether it was still visible in some dark corner of, of the sky. And while he was doing that, he noticed a comet and he sent the... Uh, the data that he got to Brian Marsden in the United States who tabulated the orbit and they figured out it was going to come past the sun 
around about Christmas time, 1973. Now, NASA heard of this and they said, well, this is the chance. We've got a telescope on Skylab. Why don't we observe the comet? We'll delay the launch of Vessel 4, the final mission, and uh, we'll observe the comet from, from outer space. And that's what they did. Now, unfortunately, they were, they were promising that the comet would be more spectacular than Halley's Comet. Uh, it didn't happen. It was a bit of a letdown. Uh, okay. Dr. Kahutek was telling me a lot of people had hyped it up. Uh, I just yeah. said it was a comet. You know, I never said it was going to be this this yeah. brilliant object that would uh, you know, light the, the night sky. Yeah, um, and it got really a bit out of hand. The press and the media, I guess. Yeah, exactly. The press, the press and the media. Huh? Who, who works in that industry? Marketing people. I'll tell you what, and press and media people. Exactly. By mm-hmm. the way, did I tell you that Horizon Riders is a very catchy tune? You, you know what? You, you, you make a very good point. <laughs> so anyway, coming back to Horizon Riders. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Also featured in the movie uh, was was a whole bunch of student experiments, which I found quite interesting, that they had just basically normal students sending up experiments into, you know, for for an official space science mission. If it, Thank God they didn't ask me because I would have probably asked them to check on, like, boogers in space or something. <laughs> well, it was a competition they put out across uh, the United States, Okay. Uh, for high school students to submit ideas and proposals for experiments that could possibly be carried out aboard Skylab. Mm-hmm. There were 19 different student proposals that uh, were accepted for, for the Skylab missions. And uh, you've probably seen footage from them and not realized they come from Skylab. The first and the most uh, popular one would be the two spiders. Arabella and Anita that were carried aboard the SL3 mission and they wanted to study whether spiders could make their webs in zero gravity the same way that they could down on Earth. Right. And at, could they? They could. At the beginning, the spiders were disoriented, but uh, after a couple of days in space and with a bit of coercing from, from the astronauts, they did manage to create their webs. Um, there's photographs and, and film of the spiders up there. That must have messed with their minds, right? Imagine you're, you're used to building your web with gravity involved and suddenly you're, you're in space trying to make a web with no gravity floating around all over the place. Well, That must have really messed with the spiders. Yes. Well, the, uh, that zero gravity environment also messed with the, uh, with the astronauts as well. Uh, they, were, they were telling yeah. me, you know, we'd float into one area of uh, Skylab and from the perspective where they le- left from, it was upside mm. down and suddenly they, they'd look up, which is actually in the new part, looking down. And it, it, it sort of messed with their minds uh, a little bit like that. Um, yeah, I can imagine. Another one, and the footage is, is uh, quite interesting to watch. They took little minnow fish. They took uh, hatched fish and hatchlings. Now, the mm-hmm. fish that were brought up that were already hatched uh, prior to launch had a very hard time uh, adjusting to zero gravity. And you can see them on, on the television footage. They spin around and around and around and around and around and around, around in circles. Right. The hatchlings were adjusted to zero gravity the second they were born. They f- swam through the wow. water in zero G as if they had done it. Well, they had <laughs> for their whole lives, as if it was completely normal. <laughs> There were – what other experiments were there? There was studies about plant growth, uh, about bacterias and spores. Um, 
lots and lots and lots of uh, experiments that uh, you, you need to devote a year just to, to understand what they were doing and, and read of, of what they were doing. And yeah. the, the coolest thing to read is that all these students went on to be very successful with, with their careers. Uh, some of them did okay. actually work for NASA. Um, huh. The trail actually was very difficult to follow up on on the students, um, uh, but I, I have heard from several people that they did actually do well with themselves. Okay, yeah, it's it's uh, quite interesting. It sounds like something, some kind of modern marketing campaign where we where where we would uh, ask the audience or the readers or the users to provide their information of what what they should do in space. That's, it seems quite uh, advanced. For that, uh, for that age, for to ask people to provide them with uh, experiments to take to space. That's, that's a pretty cool uh, idea. Well, it didn't just end with Skylab. When Jack Lausmer flew up on STS-3, uh, the third sh- shuttle mission, um, he carried on the student investigations on his flight, and that has been a staple part of space exploration since Skylab. Yeah. So with all these goals that Skylab had for itself, h- how, long, how long was Skylab up, uh, up, up there for? It was a total of uh, six years? It was a total of six years. They had planned originally to have four missions, four crews go up there. They uh, mm-hmm. did not launch SL-5. The last crew was SL-4. So they mm-hmm. had Pete Conrad's crew, Pete Conrad, Paul Weitz, and Joe Kerwin, who ended up being the repairmen. They were the ones that were sent up there and tasked with the job to fix Skylab, to deploy the solar panel that had not properly deployed, to put up a makeshift uh, micrometeorite shield and thermal protection. So they did experiments, but not as much as they had originally been scheduled to do. When Mm -hmm. SL3 went up, Alan Bean, Owen Garriott and Jack Lausma, that's when they started really doing the science. Uh, that's where the, the the spiders were were on that that mission. There were um, a lot of the student experiments were were carried aboard on that one. Um, okay. And then SL four, which was Jerry Carr, Bill Pogue, and Ed Gibson, continued that work, and they were up there for eighty four days. So they had a lot of time to do a lot of experiments. Okay, yeah. Uh, now in the movie, there's a quote. I think it's from David Hitt, where he said that. Uh, Skylab was the first time that orbit becomes a destination. That was also, it was also kind of part of the experiments and the knowledge that we were trying to build up for NASA and for the future of space travel, right? Is how do humans live in space? Uh, what, what kind of experiments did they do to further that knowledge? Oh, so, so many of them. They had, uh, well, the one thing that they were adamant uh, to have the astronauts do was physical activity. They had to have a regimented exercise program because of muscular atrophy and and whatever other problems that they had not then known about but anticipated might come so the the crews were obliged to sit on the bicycle the ergometer and and uh, do physical activity they had uh, what they called thornton's revenge which was uh, an well not so much an experiment but an exercise it was a sheet of sort of clear plastic that the astronauts would walk upon they would strap themselves pulled down towards this thing and use it as a treadmill um in in their socks they would just sort of treadmill on this thing without actually having a proper treadmill 
they had the lower body negative pressure experiment, and that was devised to monitor changes in an astronaut's cardiovascular system during long duration. And again, this comes into the, they wanted to know what happens to humans when they're living in space for a prolonged period of time. They even, they even devised, it was, it's a brilliant uh, uh, device, um, they had a mass measurement device and it was uh, operated on a sort of pendulum that would oscillate backwards and forwards and they would calculate on the ground that something like a, uh, like a, a basketball, for example, would, would vibrate backwards and forwards at a determined rate and they could work out the mass of that based on how often or the frequency of these vibrations. Wow. I also I enjoyed the footage that I that you have in the movie of uh, the showering, the astronaut showering. That was quite interesting, interesting to see. The shower was a uh, a proposal by Pete Conrad, who said, "If I'm going to be up there for 28 days, I want to be able to have a shower." shower. Yeah, that's the that's the one thing I think I would insist on is a good shower. Yes. Now, what they didn't quite realize, as fantastic as it was, and as all the astronauts said, um, it was fun to try, but it was a lot of work. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, obvious from your from the footage that's in Searching for Skylab that it was not not that easy. No, it, basically it was a jet squirter that, uh, like a like as Ed Gibson says, it was like taking a shower with a Windex bottle. So you would have, <laughs> if you can imagine, holding a, a, a spray bottle and you squirt yourself with water. Then you had to vacuum it off because otherwise the droplets would go floating around. Then you had to dry yourself down. Then you had to clean off all the water because you don't want that floating around and getting in the equipment on Skylab. And it took a good 90 minutes to have a shower. And the shower itself took approximately 15 minutes maximum. Jeez. So the rest of the it's time... not worth the effort. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's where we're... Owen Garriott and Ed Gibson were saying, look, you know, you, you took out a, a washcloth and you could clean yourself off as easily as, as uh, just by having, you know, as you would by having the shower. And I put that theory actually to the test uh, about a month ago. We had uh, a leakage in our shower, so we had to, to turn the shower off and uh -huh. I had to do sponge baths for the, for the morning shower. And right. It works. It works exactly this, the, as the astronaut said. And I thought, oh, there you go. There's a practical application. If the shower's not doing what it's supposed to, then uh, use um, use a sponge bath. Use the Skylab technique. Yeah, yeah. use a sponge, bath, a sponge bath, which we learned in Skylab. That's right. That's right. Uh, do you, were the overall goals of Skylab met in, in general, Dwight? Oh, very much so. Very much so. Um, as I was saying before, you know, it's set the precedence for what they use now to develop ISS missions. Yeah. So we learned a lot and it uh, succeeded at what they wanted to do. Well, not only that, when they were developing the shuttle, there were certain aspects of uh, environmental design that they, they had in Skylab that they determined were not actually optimal when you're in zero gravity. And they took mm -hmm. these findings on board and modified the space shuttle so that it would be more zero G user friendly than Skylab was. You live, you learn, I guess. Yes, you do. That's the whole point of it. Well, Dwight, this has been very interesting talking about the experiments and the goals of Skylab. Do you have any parting points or things that you want to share? Yes, I, I have one parting comment that I think is very important to say, and that is that Horizon oh, Riders yeah, is a very catchy song. <laughs> you know what? Even I'm starting to believe that now. Do you know that we entered it uh, into the Independent Music Awards? Yes, you told me that. And uh, when do you find out what's happening there? 
uh, we're waiting to hear. We should hear in the, at the beginning of April if it's been nominated for the awards. It's, it's just been entered. Um, but, I mean, we entered it in the best song from a movie film advertisement category. And when I entered it, there was like maybe two other songs there. So we have to win it, right? Damn straight. We have to win it. We, but yeah, yeah, get nominated. yeah, I want to see you guys up on stage getting your award for a film that I should yeah. be getting an award for. Yeah. Uh, actually, you know what? No, it, it shouldn't win. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and now I'm going to make sure it does. Oh, it'd be great if it did. It'd be great if it did. Right. Dwight, you have a website searching for skylab.com. That's correct. You can go What's there. What's on your website? There's plenty of photos of how we made the film. There, uh, there's a blog on there now, thanks to this South African fellow that I know who got me into mm. doing blogs. Yeah, um, you, you need to do another one. Oh, it's it's already been done. We just need to post it. Good, um, good, good. Then we've got uh, the link to Vimeo where you can buy the film or rent the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a newsletter that you can sign up for. Yeah, definitely sign up for the newsletter. It's very interesting. It is. There's some good stuff that you send out in that newsletter. Yes, oh, it, it's it's a lot of fun to write those things because there's yeah. so much information that we couldn't put in the film. It's like, well, we'll put them in the yeah. newsletter. Yeah. Um, and then you also have a Facebook web page and you're on Twitter. That is correct. We are SF underscore Skylab on Twitter yeah. and mm-hmm. on Facebook searching for Skylab. Yes. So you can find Searching for Skylab everywhere. There's no excuse, people. No, that's Get right. So Get come on. Board. But you definitely should watch the movie. Everything that we've spoken about today is in the movie. In the next episode of the Searching for Pod, uh, Searching for Skylab podcast, we are going to be looking at the launch of Skylab, which did not exactly go as smoothly as possible, Dwight. We'll, we won't give any spoilers away for people who don't know Skylab. Yep. Um, and for people who do know Skylab, uh, you can hear Dwight's telling of the stories. Excellent. Now, hurry up and uh, cue that song. I'm dying to hear it again. I hear it starting, Dwight. It's in the background. Oh, there that it means is, you're there it is. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for chatting, Dwight. And we'll be back soon with episode three of Searching for Skylab. See you then, Sean. See ya. Bye.